episode of FW Presents Find Your Joy. I am Shifty Ryan Daly, and joining me on this episode is the host of Palace of Glittering Delights and many other podcasts on the Two True Freaks Network. Back when we were in Rikers Island together, we called him Andy the Enforcer Leyland. Welcome back, Andy. (laughs) I like that. Hello, Ryan. Thank you for inviting me back. Uh, Have your nails grown back since I pulled them off? Oh, that's a pain that never stops hurting. I no, it never goes away, that one, does it? <laughs> yeah. Listeners, uh, you may remember that Andy came on the show, actually, it was about one year ago, to talk Is about... It? Yeah, it was. Blimey. Yeah, to talk about an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man. And leading up to that, when we were deciding what we would talk about, Andy gave me a list with a couple of comics on it. And it included the words, Savage Sword of Criminal. And I was a little confused. <laughs> because I had heard of the Savage sort of Conan magazines, and I'd heard of the Criminal comics, but I hadn't seen those words mashed together like that, so I kind of thought that maybe Andy had mistyped something. I even checked on, like, Comixology, and I got nothing there, so I just I told Andy, oh, let's do the Spider-Man comic. <laughs> and then six months later, I'm at Graham Cracker's Comics in my old hometown of Tekelb, Illinois, looking at some of their magazine stock, and I find it, those words... Savage Sword of Criminal. And then I understood. I was like, oh, this is a special edition of the Criminal series by Brubaker and Phillips done to look like the 70s Marvel Conan magazine. Brilliant. I love this thing. And right away, I took a picture and I sent it back to Andy. And I was like, hey, it does exist. I thought you were a terrible typist, but I was wrong. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I know it exists. I've got it in my hand. They, they also, have you got the sequel? Deadly I, Hands of Criminal. I don't have that one. And I also, I don't actually believe that exists too until I see it in my hand. I'm, I'm How assume, does it genuinely exist? I'm going to assume you're making that up. So obviously, um, as you can tell from this, the show that we are covering is Savage Sword of Criminal, published by Image Comics in 2015. Uh, Andy, since this was your recommendation, and it's a spinoff of the Criminal series by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, how did you come to this magazine, this story in particular? And also, what is its connection to Criminal, and kind of what do the listeners need to know before we dive into this? Uh, Criminal, as you've already succinctly mentioned, is a image comic series by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. It's quite intermittent. Uh, it originally started as a Marvel icon book before moving over to Image when Ed Brubaker was exclusive with Marvel. And they did six issues there, and then they did another series that I think was only three issues, and, and so on and so forth. At the moment, they are currently deep into a 12-issue miniseries. Uh, and when that takes a break, they are working on a, a different hardcover graphic novel called Pulp. I don't yet know if that's part of the criminal universe. Um, and then Criminal will come back with more stories. Basically, it's a cross between Astro City and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> in that, it's like Astro City in the sense that Kurt Busiak has the entire Astro City universe mapped out. He knows where the stories happen, who they happen to, and the order they happen 
but he tells the stories in whatever order those stories bubble to his head. So you may get a story with um, the confessor, and then you may get a flashback story about the original confessor when you find out that this confessor is actually his old sidekick. It's the same with Criminal. Brubaker has it all mapped out from something like the 1950s through to today. He knows who all the characters are, where they all go and what happens to them. But he tells the stories in the order that they they bubble come alive in his brain, basically. And in this particular story, we are following Teague Lawless. Uh, there have been a number of criminal stories about Teague Lawless and his son, Tracy Lawless, but they are not the central character of the show. Uh, sorry, the story. And in fact, the off-screen presence who orders the hit on Teague whilst he's in prison isn't in this story, but he's just as much of a character in the criminal stories as the Lawless family are. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with the Lawless family. Some of them have everything to do with the Lawless family. But there were, there's always a, a connection, which is where the Tarantino thing comes through, in that they all operate in the same universe and the same characters drift in and out of the stories. And what's particularly interesting about the 12-issue one he's currently doing, every single issue essentially happens at the same time, roughly, and in the background of, say, issue one, a character will walk through, say something to the main character and leave. And then the next issue will follow that character. So you'll see the same scene, but from the other character's point of view. And he's running that throughout the entire 12 issues before it all comes together in a hopefully satisfying climax. To answer your other question... <laughs> Where did I get the magazines from? Like you, I was not aware of the magazines. Now, I have no idea how I missed them in the solicitations because I generally scour image solicitations for anything new by Brubaker and Phillips because they don't just do criminal. They've done Kill or Be Killed, which is a magnificent little crime noir thing. It ran for... I think it was about 24 issues, so there's four trade paperbacks on one hardcover. They did The Fade Out which is a crime noir mystery set in 1940s Hollywood. None of those are anything to do with criminal. Um, but I was at a convention. I want to say it was Thought Bubble, but it may have been the Lakes International Comics Festival. And Sean Phillips was there. And Sean Phillips is the nicest man in the world. Uh, we've seen him. He's always at a convention. He's always got time to talk to you, and he's always happy to say hi. And on his desk, he had... Savage Sword of Criminal and Deadly Hands of Criminal. So I bought them both off him, uh, because why would you not? So my copy of this is signed. Nice. Very cool. I had heard of Criminal, and I have only read the first arc, the Coward storyline. Mm. And I really... Now, is that Tracy? Is that a Tracy Lawless story? I don't, I don't think it's got any of the Lawlesses. I think that's got a different character in the... Right. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's got any of the lawless characters. Like when you mentioned like that, some of them don't have anything to do. I think that's like a uh, Leo Patterson or something. I think is the name main character or something like that. But I read that one actually. I had got the whole story arc and I read it basically while I was flying across the country. I was on multiple planes and multiple airports and I just got downloaded that one and just read those issues like that whole story arc while I was in transit basically to go see my brother. Uh, loved the story, loved the, everything about it and just really want to get back into it eventually. It's like on my pile of like stuff to get into. I've also got the entire fade out uh, storyline but I've yep. read the first issue of that. What I did of um, Brubaker and Phillips, I read Fatal, and I've read that whole series, and I love that. That was one of my favorite books ever. Um, yeah, Fatal was great. Did you read uh, over at Marvel Icon? They did um, uh, Incognito. I didn't read that. I'm I'm trying to think. 
I think it was Sleeper. Was that the name of their first thing? Like back, like almost like twenty yes. years ago. I Sleeper, think Sleeper was. Yeah, Sleeper was Vertigo, wasn't it? Or was it Wildstorm? I think it was Wildstorm. It was one actually. of them. Yeah, I think it yeah. was Wildstorm. I read that back when it first came out, like twenty years ago. I think that was the first time they popped on my radar. But I loved the first arc that I read, the Coward arc, and I loved this. So it's definitely it's it's on my list of things that I got to get into when I've got the time because I really well, dig the, this. So they recently did a two part. Arc was nothing to do with the Lawlesses again. It's actually about a comic book artist who has fallen on hard times and finds out that his ex-wife has been selling his original art. And there's an awful lot of real-life true comic book stories in that story <laughs> with the serial numbers filed off. It has. It was so well received, they both went back and revisited it. I've released it as a hardcover called Bad Weekend, oh, which has extra pages and stuff in, extra parts of the story that wasn't in the original two issues of Criminal, so I'm probably going to pick that up as well. And there's also My Heroes Have all been, Always Been Junkies, which is a, an original hardcover novel that I didn't think felt like criminal but apparently it's been shoehorned into the criminal universe mm. i didn't i didn't think much of my heroes have always been junkies i found the ending too predictable mm. and one of the things that i like about brubaker is that he's he is doing these crime noir stories and he follow he ticks all the boxes of a crime noir story uh, everything's dark and gloomy and everything's raining and nobody's 100 pure or 100 evil and women are not to be trusted <laughs> which is which is a crime noir staple yeah, yeah. but uh, I was re- my my heroes have always been junkies. I guessed the ending about halfway through, and I'm wondering whether that informed why I don't like that one as much as the other ones. I'd need to read read it now. I know that the ending's the ending. All right, uh, let's take a quick promo break, uh, play an advertisement for probably one of your podcasts, and then we'll come back to talk about this story. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle station. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Children, my lost loves, O oh wandering souls, back from the fog and field of battle, listen and I shall whisper my tales to you as you slumber. Know that in the days long, long past, after the undying ones were trapped in the realm of nightmare, ever to dream inside us all, that there was an age of men and monsters, of demons and demigods, of sorcerers and kings, 
where mankind's most golden cities reflected the night back into the stars. And into this age came Zengar, the savage, white of hair, eyes full of angry sorrow, a thief, a soldier, a slayer of men and beast, and all who came before him. Zangar, last of the fallen men of Valandria, cursed always to wander, but seeking what even he may not know. Yeah, the cover is by Sean Phillips. It's painted in the style of Boris Valjeo or whoever it was who would paint the old Conan covers. There's a scantily clad woman and man on the cover. She's quite buxom because it's Conan, or right. spoofing Conan. And there's lots of tentacles, so there's even a little bit of hentai there. Uh, it's it's great. There's a bit of Glen Orbic to it as well. Uh, like I say, a bit of Valjeo. It's very definitely homaging the Conan comic books of the time, and that carries on over into the table of contents on page two. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I loved about the experience of getting this was um, I got this. I was picking up a couple of other magazines, maybe like a Rampaging Hulk or something like that. So I hmm. brought it to the cashier, and there was a new girl who was just like started working. She was sort of being trained on the cash register at the time, and she was really confused by this because she thought it was an authentic book from the 70s or something like that. And she was, like, trying to figure out how to price it. And the guy, like, the manager who was training her was like, no, 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 it's actually, it's just enough to look like that. It has a barcode. You know, all you have to do is scan it on the back and everything, and, like, the price is right there. So they didn't have to go through it. So I love the fact that, like, just to an untrained eye or somebody, like, this could would be passably a vintage, like, retro comic from the 70s. Yeah, well, they do a good job of selling that. I mean, there's only one legitimate advert in the whole book, and that's for Brew Baker and Phillips' other criminal um, trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. But the letters page is period authentic, and the, the table of contents, like I say, on page three is period authentic, and the advert on the back, the awesome yep. secrets of Kung Fu. And what I love about this, if you turn it upside down, it's even got the sticker for where it's been sent to yep. inmate 447223 Santa Teresa County Jail and it's it's purposely yellowed as well mm-hmm. the the pages that are the magazine savage sword that um Lawless is reading are yep. deliberately yellowed and look a little bit creased and and threadbare so i can understand her confusion yeah all right let's get into this by This Sword I Live, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Sean Phillips, colors by Elizabeth Breitweiser. Zangar the Savage wanders through the crystal wastes, wounded from his battle with the demon Yag Yaga, when he hears a commotion. He finds two barbarians about to rape a woman. Zangar kills the men, hacking through their heads and torsos with his sword, spilling their gory innards all over the land. Spent from the effort and still wounded, Zangar collapses. The woman tries to help, but he recognizes her as a priestess of the goddess Ra-Ra, a rival to his own god Demas, and says that he wants no help from her. But the priestess won't let him die after saving her. Once Zangar passes out, she strips naked, paints sacred sigils on her body with his blood, and performs a dance to her goddess. And a voice from out of space calls out, That one got titties in it? Now we're in county jail in 1976, where Teague Lawless reads the pulp adventures of Zangar from his cell. Another inmate standing in the doorway asks if that magazine has tits in it. 
Then he tells Teague that Mr. Goldstein has summoned him for a meeting. Teague rolls the magazine up and sticks it in his back pocket. We find out that Teague and his crew robbed a payroll truck, each getting away with 50 grand for a two-minute job. But that is not what landed Teague in lockup. After the job, before they could split the take, Teague and the driver, Wilson, went to a bar. Teague got too drunk and ended up in a fight with some biker. The cops took him away after they found a bench warrant on Teague for failure to appear in traffic court. Teague is halfway through his 30-day stint in lockup as he follows the other inmate down his cell block. Along the way, he spots a white power tattoo on the guy's arm. Teague figures a boss named Goldstein isn't likely to hire the Aryan Brotherhood for his muscle, so when the inmate leads Teague to a dark corridor, he is ready for the hit. Using the rolled-up magazine to knock the inmate's shiv aside and beat him to the floor, Teague interrogates him just long enough to find out that there's a price on his head, before brutally murdering this would-be killer by shoving the magazine through his eye sockets. Then he burns the Zangar magazine to destroy the evidence, pissed that he didn't get to finish reading the story. Next, Teague calls Wilson, the driver from his crew, to find out if his boss, Sebastian Hyde, put the hit out on him, because Teague and one of Hyde's lieutenants named Ringo were supposed to take out a problematic city councilman last week. Since Teague has been in jail, that job never got done. Teague wonders if that would be reason enough for Hyde to order the hit on him. Wilson mentions that Teague's wife has been asking for money. Teague tells him to give her a little of his take from the payroll truck job. Not all of it, just enough to get by. Then Teague goes to the prison library to check out another copy of Savage to find out what happens in the Zangar story. The librarian almost spoils it and also acknowledges the target on Teague's back. Back in the magazine's tale, Zangar marches south for days, all the while thinking back to his passionate affair with the priestess Ravina. He can't wait to return to her, but he has an oath to keep. He sneaks into a city and kicks down a door. An old man screams that he thought Zangar was dead. Zangar holds his sword to the man's throat and demands to know where the man, where are the men who betrayed him. The old man says his cohorts went east to the gleaming city of Glahara to sell the jewels that they stole from Zangar. The savage hero stabs the old man with a sword as an outside voice interrupts Teague Lawless's reading. Mr. Goldstein finds Teague in the yard and tells him that neither he nor Sebastian Hyde ordered the hit on Teague. But Hyde is pissed off that he got locked up and screwed up his other job, so while he's in jail, he will not be protected by any of the other connected guys. He'll have to survive on his own. What's more, they won't make it easy. Goldstein has two of his prison guards beat Teague with their nightsticks and break his arm. The prison doctor puts Teague's arm in a cast. For the next week, Teague can only think about who would want him killed, even as inmates keep taking their shot. On the first day, someone tries to shank him in the cafeteria. Teague fights him off by slamming his tray into the guy's face. On the second day, they attack him in the laundry. Teague breaks into his attacker's face with his cast. The third day, he's nearly strangled between the bars of his cell, but he gouges his attacker's eye out with his thumb. On days four and five, they attack him in the shower and in the cell. He kills the men who come after him. On the seventh day, they dose him with LSD. Even tripping on acid, Teague is able to kill his would-be assassin. 
He runs through a hallucinatory cell block as the other inmates shout that guards are coming. At last, a familiar face in the form of Gift, the librarian, comes to Teague's rescue. He tells Teague he can't go to the infirmary. The word is out that Teague is being released tomorrow, so everyone who wants a shot at the $5,000 hit will take it when Teague is strapped to a bed on a morphine drip. Instead, Gift hides Teague in the book storage closet to wait out the night. In the pages of Savage, Zengar walks the jeweled streets of Glahara, thinking of a woman named Oritha. She was the slave girl when he, they met years ago. He freed her, and she repaid him with her passion. For years, they would hook up whenever fate happened to bring them together. He never thought she could betray him, but she had. It was her idea to rob the Onyx Temple with a treacherous thief named Quantin. Orifa cries and pleads for her life, telling Zengar she only betrayed him to save her own life. In the morning, Ringo picks Teague up outside the jail and drives him back to the city. Teague goes home to his wife and kids, but he's still bothered by the unresolved mystery of who set him up. As he's heading out, his wife tells him to take one of the kids with him. Teague brings his son, Tracy. They stop by the newsstand to get the latest issue of Savage and a kid's comic for Tracy. Teague makes his son wait in the car while he goes to see Wilson to get his cut from the payroll truck job. Wilson is shocked to see Teague out of jail a week early and acting shifty as hell. He tells Teague that his debts caught up with him and he lost Teague's share of the loot. Teague realizes it was Wilson who put out the hit to protect himself from Teague. Well, that didn't go so well for Wilson. No better than it went for Quantin as Zengar kills his guards and finally disarms the traitor in combat. Quantan begs for his life, saying he can give Zangar anything he wants in return, but Zangar only wants revenge. He plunges his hand into Quantan's chest and rips out his heart. Then he lifts the bloody body over his shoulders and throws it through the window. Quantan's body falls to the city below, but Zangar feels no rest, no peace. Teague shouts at his son to quit reading the violent pulp magazine. He bought him a Mikey Millions comic to entertain him. Tracy complains that the comic was too boring, but Teague doesn't care. He drives them to a bus stop and pulls over. He tells his son to keep an eye out for a guy in a prison guard's outfit getting off the bus while Teague leans back to read Zangar's adventures. The end. Mm. All right. What did you think of the story? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it's, it's quite a typical criminal story in that it's not going the direction that you think it's going in. And the fact that the guy just hired somebody to kill him off in prison because he'd already spent his share of the take actually makes quite a lot of sense in criminal. There's lots of lovely little touches, like you say in the synopsis. He doesn't get busted for the job. He gets busted just because he can't hold his beer. His <laughs> um, his his alcoholism and his temper get Teague Lawless in a lot of trouble in the various other criminal stories. And I love as well that Teague's just riding out this 30-day sentence. He's not going to question it. He just wants to ride it out, be peaceful, calm, stay out of everybody's way. And when he gets out, the money will still be there for him. And I like that. I, I thought it's, he's... One of the things you do learn about Teague Lawless as you go through is he's not stupid. He's actually quite smart and savvy. And I like that this emphasizes his brains as well. I like the look of him. He's obviously somebody who's getting on a bit. Like when you see them all naked in the shower, he's obviously gone to seed a bit. Mm -hmm. But he's still not somebody you'd want to get into a fist fight with. Yeah, I like that he's he's not dumb. I, he has at one point actually where he acknowledges that he's somebody who kind of 
he needs a system. He needs the structure of prison. And like when he talks about like serving in the war, like everything was fine when he was in like training, when he was in like kind of like the system of the, the military and everything. But when he got out to the jungle and there were no rules, that's when things go bad for him. That's when hmm. his like that's when he his more primal baser instincts kind of take over for him. Yeah, I, I think the only problem I have with it, and this is only a minor nitpicky one, it's a shame that John Buscema or Gil Kane weren't still alive to do the, the Zangar bits. Mm-hmm. Because I think it would have been really nice if they'd been around to do those bits as a proper full-on pastiche of Conan. Yeah. Because Sean Phillips is, uh, is brilliant in the modern-day sequences. Modern-day, 1970, whatever it is. Right. But it's a, it's a bit too simplistic in the Zangar stuff. Conan was much better drawn than this. Yeah. But I, but I get the impression this is supposed to be a knockoff of Conan mm-hmm. rather than Conan specifically, because Conan wasn't as violent as this either, mm. largely I, because I, of you know the time. I I do like that the art style feels different though. I could almost guess that it was two different artists. It's not radically different, but it's like just the difference between like the black and white, the way he inks it and everything, versus how the quote-unquote modern part of the story with Teague in jail is colored and everything like that. There is enough of a difference that it feels it feels like you kind of like you're never confused about what world you're in and everything like that. And there does seem to be this difference. So I like that. Yeah, I mean if they could have gotten Conan artists to do that, that would have been great just to see that again. But I think yeah. I think Phillips does a really good job with what he's got. Yeah. I like maybe get Barry Windsor Smith back because he's, he's still, still around. Alive, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would have been really cool. But all the prison stuff is authentic. I mean, if you like 1970s crime films like Vanishing Point and Gone in 60 Seconds and all of that stuff, this this is really redolent of that time period. I mean, Brubaker, you know, he he went through the work. He's got, like, this whole sort of introductory paragraph, the way the Conan books always did, from from the Song of the Dreamless, Dreamers of Death, like like this whole fictitious world created by Alfred Ravenscroft is supposed to be the creator. Mm-hmm. He has a map of this world, you know, sort of like um, like Conan's map with all these different locations and dark, like cities and countries and everything like that. So it's really cool. He gives you like the sense of place and, and the time just with a few little minor details. But Yeah, all of that's absolutely brilliant. It's lovely that he gets picked up. At the back end, he mentions Sebastian Hyde. Again, he's the person I alluded to earlier on. We don't see him in this story, but Sebastian Hyde plays a big part in other criminal stories, some of which don't have Lawless in, some of which do. I like when he's at the newsstand. It's mostly Marvel comics on the newsstand. Did you notice that? Uh, Let me go back. I don't think I did look that closely at it. You can clearly see, I mean, the, the Tracy Lawless is reading Man-Thing, oh, yeah. and you can clearly right. see the logo for the Defenders, Defenders and Conan. Uh, those Amazing Spider-Man, and Were Monsters Combat. Dwell. Oh, G.I. Combat was a DC, wasn't it? Yeah. But those and those at the back are all giant size, so it's mostly, it's mostly Marvel comics on the newsstand, which I thought was interesting in an image book. Yeah, really. I mean, it originally started as a the Marvel icon, yeah. but I mean, by the time they were working on this, sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe it was just a nod to the fact that they were they were riffing on the seventies Marvel magazines rather than anything DC did. Right, right. Yeah. So it's mostly Marvel magazines on the newsstand. Yeah, now I'm looking in more detail. There's a Newsweek magazine <laughs> up above, which looks like it has a baseball player. I'm wondering if that's an authentic mm-hmm. magazine cover. But 
I don't, I don't know. With Ed Brubaker, uh, Ed Brubaker, with Sean Phillips, it could be. He is remarkably detailed in what he puts into his artwork. And I think it's especially noticeable in the difference between the framing sequence and the modern day sequence and the comic book stories. The amount, of, the level of detail that he's put into the regular stuff is much greater than the stuff that's in the Conan pastiche. And some of the deaths in the in the in the Zangar story are actually quite brutal. There's a bit where he goes full on Temple of Doom on this guy. <laughs> he guts him like a fish, reaches into him, and rips his heart out before throwing him out of a window. Mm-hmm. And the the captions actually mentioned like he can kill him more than once. And I love that because it's it's um, uh, mentioned by uh, the librarian too. He actually uh, foreshadows that. He's like, yeah. when, like earlier on when uh, he's first at the library, he's like, oh yeah, this is a good one when he's handing him the new magazine. It's like there's this part where Zangar rips the guy's heart out. He's like, come on, Jeff, I, I haven't got to that part yet. And he's like, I'm not ruining it for you. You know he's going to kill everyone. It's Zangar. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like a 90s Arnold Schwarzenegger film. You know everyone's going to end up dead. Yeah. And so I like at the end the reason like gif like he's like yeah I could turn you in for the reward but it's like I'm getting out of here and pretty soon too so I don't need that money he's like plus us savage fans got to stick together it's like they've bonded hmm. over this magazine yeah and uh, the first kill that uh, that Teague Lawless does is with his magazine where he basically rams it right down the guy's throat mm-hmm. and then gouges his eye out with it and then yeah, yeah and then has to set it on fire. Yeah, he has to burn it to get rid of the evidence of how he killed him. Which, again, shows shows Teague smarts, burn the evidence. It's, um, it's a really great, it's a typical criminal story without actually being a typical criminal story. And it really works in this magazine format. And I'm, I'm quite surprised they've never done any more of these. If you are to believe, be believed that there was one more, and if I ever there find is, that one... <laughs> I, I will send you a photo of it to prove it is true. We'll it's um, uh, deadly hands of criminal. But yeah, this was such a fun little, fun little trip. Yeah, I mm. love the way that this was handled. The way they, you know, told told a story that kind of advances the world of criminal while also you know paying homage to these other pulp things that Brubaker and Phillips clearly had a lot of affection for. Yeah, this, this was clearly the stuff that uh, certainly Ed Brubaker was growing up reading. Uh, along with, you know, the crime novels of Parker and, and stuff like that. Yeah. The letters page is also a spoof letters page by such luminaries as uh, Chip Starsky's in here, and Mick Drucker's in here, Kelly yeah. Sue DeConnick's in here, Kieran Gillen's in here, and all of the letters are actually quite funny. <laughs> you've got, I love that you've got one letter beforehand saying there's not enough boobs in the comic, and then you've got Sue Kelly's letter saying, well, the, you know, why why are they wearing those things over their nipples? Uh, why is that protecting? I like that her nickname, Sue Boobs McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I like the letters. I think the letters... And there's really... There's, there's, it runs the gamut of, of fan piss takery without ever crossing over the line. Because there's one from... Um, from a, a thing you're diehard, a Ravencroft diehard, complaining that they've got some minor minutiae wrong. And then there's another one saying that the last two issues were great, but this one was utter tripe. And you could tell that I'm right about it being utter tripe because it's still on the news stance. And it's like, that's, that's not how any of this works. And it's, it's, it's a really nice piss take of fans thinking they know what they're on about when in fact they've not got a clue. And I love Brubaker's stanley-esque responses where he he doesn't really say anything about saying an awful lot it's really good it's it's they carry on the gag all the way through and at no point does it worth thin kurt Busiek is one of the letter writers too 
Yeah, Kurt Busiek's one of the letter writers. He's the only one who writes in under his own name, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. But that again works into the gag because at this time period, Kurt Busiek was having letters published in Marvel Comics. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so that really works for the joke. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much, like, despite it being sort of parallel stories, which I I actually like that it's like the the Conan story or the, the Savage story, the Zengar story, essentially, is a revenge plot, which is mm-hmm. very familiar to almost all Conan stories. It's also very form- familiar to almost all criminal stories. There is a ton of overlap in these type of pulp genres in terms of story structure, character arcs, and these type of things. So I like the fact that we do have these two stories, one as a printed story within the tale of Teague, that they have these parallel themes, and you can see where he jumps back and forth to them and everything, and how these characters are are going about resolving their their crises and getting their revenge. So I think mm. it was really masterfully done. It was, and I also like that they have that little nod to Conan where he does climb a wall. Because yeah, it's yes. not a Conan story if he doesn't climb something. Mm. So that was lovely. Which, I actually, I heard a quote just recently that John Buscema... If given the choice, he would always prefer Kazar over Conan. And the really? one, the one reason that he he mentioned that he singled out was because Conan had too many buildings and walls and temples <laughs> that he had to he had to draw those straight lines and like the architecture of Conan's world. Whereas Kazar, everything was the wild jungle, so he never had to worry about a straight line or anything like that. Oh, that seems fair enough, because John Buscema famously would rather be drawing Conan and Tarzan and all that stuff than any of the superhero stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which which is which shows how professional he was, because you never got that from reading The Avengers. No, he did some damn good superhero stuff. So. Yeah, but uh, it was not a fan, apparently. Any, I mean, obviously, you'd, you'd, I'm sure you would recommend the entire series based on this, but yes, uh, specific recommendations of like story arcs or anything, since since it's not like one complete linear. Tale. Yeah, you can you can dip into it anywhere you want and read them in any order that you want to. I would probably recommend Bad Weekend because that has uh, more resonance for the people who probably listen to to find your joy in that it is a story about a comics creator who's fallen on hard times. And there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of stories in there that Brubaker has heard on the grapevine and then he changes the names to protect the innocent. But it, it is, a, I said to Michael, if Hey Kids Comics was still an ongoing concern, we would have covered that story. Hmm. So, so the hardcover Bad Weekend is probably the one I would recommend. But if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed Savage Sword of Criminal, then yeah, the first trade paperback is probably the best place to go. But you can't go wrong, I don't think, with anything that Brubaker and Phillips have done together. They've not done anything yet that was subpar, really. I mean, even my heroes have all been junkies. That may be just me. Maybe I've just read too much of this shit. And I'm now, <laughs> you know... When, you, when you've read as many of these things as we have, you get to the point where there are certain story beats and there are certain angles. And one of the things I like about Criminal is that he is finding new ways of still hitting those beats that you expect in a crime noir story whilst doing something new with it. So uh, Bad Weekend would be probably where I would go in my recommendation. But I love Criminal. I just love Criminal. It is my favorite comic currently being published. It's the first one I read every month. Brubaker does something really interesting with the monthly issues. They are always full of letters page and back matter essays and little pages from him about what he's currently up to, what crime noir stuff he's watching. It was through him I discovered Justified. 
mm-hmm. which I think is one of the best TV shows of the past 10 years. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's always recommending books and television shows and stuff and answering letters. But all of that stuff, like the, there's two or three page essays on private detective television shows and old film noirs. None of that stuff gets reprinted in the trades. So essentially you are rewarded for buying the monthly issues mm. as opposed to waiting for the trade paperback. So it's it's one of those where it is worth buying on a monthly basis. Yeah, and I mean, I, obviously, I mean, you've you've also mentioned that you're getting into Conan and you like that. I mean, the, I would recommend yes. any of those Conan books from Marvel. Like that is just within the last couple of years that has become like a, a passion of mine. Like every time I go, if I find just in the wild, like a, a magazine like of the Savage Sword of Conan, I'll just pick it up and I can read it because there's like 250 issues or something and they, the order that you read them doesn't matter because most of the time they nope. don't have like continuing stories. So you can plop them in anywhere and they're great. I also, of the of the color, the original Marvel comic series, I've read like the first collection back when Dark Horse had the rights. They, they collected it so it had like the first 10 issues or so. Um, mm. by Thomas and, and Barry, Barry Smith, and I really liked some of the stories in that one. Um, but yeah, there's something about just like the the magazine, the black and white pulp quality of it that I just, I really love those. Yeah, I, I picked up like the first 14 Chronicles of Conan, the Dark Horse trades, because they're dirt cheap now yeah. that Marvel's doing the omnibuses, right. and the first six Savage Sword of Conan phone books. And like you said, they are perfect for just picking up, dipping in, reading a story, dipping out. It's It has a continuity to it, but it doesn't overly matter that the stories take place in any... It seems to me the Barry Windsor Smith ones are all when he's young Conan. Mm-hmm. And then they start jumping around in the timeline a bit more. But some of the artwork in the black and white stuff, the John Buscema, Alfred Alcala stuff is absolutely stunningly magnificent. And yeah, I've, I've really got into Conan. Uh, especially that early Marvel stuff. It's great. It's it's one of those things when one of the, the whole point of this great show that you do is, you know, if something's not working for you, find something that is. And like you pointed out, there's, what, 20 years of Marvel Conan yeah, for you to, yeah. <laughs> to dip into? And I know, I'm sure not all of it's good, but I've not read anything yet that sucks. Right. I've enjoyed all of it, even if there is, like you said, there's a formulaic nature to the stories. But it doesn't make them not fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's, there's, there's a wonderful there's a wonderful pureness to Conan as a character. He likes to eat, he likes to shag, he likes to fight, he likes to drink, he likes to make money. And that's pretty much it. But there's an honourable nature, there's an honourable side to him as well. That if you get that balance right, like he won't take the money if he's ended up having to do something as a favor for, for somebody or if somebody's done him a favor, he will repay them in some way. But if somebody betrays him, you're going to end up thrown out of a window. <laughs> as we see in this one. So Yeah. Yeah. So good. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andy, for coming back on the show. Uh, maybe next January we'll get you back for something else. <laughs> My deadly hands are criminal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll do, oh, we could do a Conan. We could pick another Conan show. Go. We could do a Conan. Good. That yeah. good too, so. That's excellent. No, uh, thank you for, for having me back. I, I love Find Your Jai. I just love the whole ethos of it. Well, I, I mean, Shag may have coined the phrase as far as I'm, I know, but I, I certainly it was a, it was a nice inspiration for me to just say, okay, no more of this stuff. Just going to do what I want. But uh, where else? Where else can people find you in the podcastosphere? Uh, my vanity project, The Palace of Glittering Delights, where I talk about whatever the hell I want, is now rapidly approaching episode 150. So apparently I like to talk about any old shit. 
Uh, I'm currently working on an episode about King of the Rocket Men, the 1949 Republic serial, which was, I think it's fair to say, very inspirational to Dave Stevens. I would think, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that's coming soon, and I've got another episode covering uh, everything from Amazing Spider-Man one onwards. I've got another one of them coming coming up to Amazing Spider-Man 80, I think. Around there, anyway. So Palace of Glittering Delights drops whenever I want it to on two, three freaks. I normally do one like every two to three weeks. Uh, Listen to the Prophets is rapidly approaching the end. We're into season seven of looking at every episode of the most underrated Star Trek show, Deep Space Nine. Michael Bailey and I do the overlooked Dark Knight every now and again. That's more intermittent because obviously the transatlantic time schedule mm-hmm. plays havoc with when we can do stuff. Uh, and I think that's it for regular gigs at the minute. Right, for the for your Spider-Man coverage on Palace, um, are you going past issue 99 or are you, is the plan to kind of just keep going with that? <laughs> I have not thought about that yet because I've covered an awful lot of that on Hey Kids. We did all the Clone Saga stuff. We did the death of Gwen Stacy. I've covered the Marv Wolf and stuff already as an issue of Pal- as an episode of Palace. So I was thinking maybe I'll get to the end of Stan Lee's tenure and then jump straight over to Dave Michelini and Todd McFarlane's room, possibly. Mm. Or, or maybe Roger Stern. Maybe I should do Roger Stern. That would be cool. That may be fun. Yeah, maybe fun to do Roger Stern stuff. Well, very, very cool. Um, I, I love listening to your shows. Uh, yeah, and I, I love we, – we need to have an occasion to talk about these things more than once a year. So Yes. Yeah, well, you've got a little one. That, that's very tight. Oh, he <laughs> makes this so difficult. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming back to help me find my joy again with honestly something that I didn't know would bring me so much joy. But I, I really had a great time with the story, so – I'm, I'm glad you like it, and I heartily recommend it to everyone out there who's listening. I love Criminal. Love it. All right, listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. If you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can always go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire & Water Network. For more information on how you can support the show and this network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks again. Now get back to work because those banks aren't going to rob themselves. Stick them up, punk. It's the fun-loving criminal. criminal. Stick them up, punk. It's the fun-loving criminal.